0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Dirty Giants podcast. One thing before we start, um, in the past I've had a few people ask how they can support the podcast. So I thought of something that might be able to both support the podcast and help a few listeners get some new gear. So this month I wanted to raffle off uh, a new Canatee tripod. I have one myself and I, I really love it. I just recently got it, so I've only taken it on a few uh, scouting trips so far, but it's been awesome. Um, anyways, so um, you can go to dirtygiants.com and you can buy one raffle ticket for five dollars, three for ten, or five for fifteen, and uh, we will draw for that uh, August first. So this week we have Travis Roundy. Deer be dead. Uh, he does taxidermy, he also guides out on the Ponsagon, and he shares some really good information about deer with us and some awesome stories. I mean, this story that uh, he shared with us about a buck that actually ended up getting away, but man, it was an awesome story, and I think there's a lot to learn from Travis. He's one of the best deer hunters I've ever got to talk to, I've ever met, and uh, his track record uh, speaks for itself. He's killed multiple 200 plus inch deer and he's just a killer so anyway let's go ahead and get into it well
1: i i kind of wanted to start maybe about talking about this recent uh drought and how you think it's going to affect deer down there
2: okay that's a hot topic right now it seems like <laughs> our conversations every day have something to do with that and i guess what i'd I would like to ask you a question. Are you more interested in hearing about Pontagon-type stuff or just southern Utah, northern Arizona in general, what I think is going to happen?
1: Uh, well, maybe a little specific to Pontagon where you are, but maybe a, a broad overview wouldn't be bad either of the okay. southern, southern Utah, northern Arizona. Okay. So I, guess, I guess a little bit of both. <laughs>
2: That sounds good. I I would be happy to give you my two cents and it's probably worth about two cents. So <laughs> don't take everything I say as gospel truth here, but this is my opinion. We are currently in a, a severe drought, probably as bad as I've ever seen it in my life. I think one other time in 2017, no actually it was 2018, excuse me. We had a drought that was real similar to this, but we're We are currently sitting at over 100 degrees right here in Glendale, and I'm sure in other parts of southern Utah it's even warmer than that. But it's super dry, and I really think from from the 2018 season to now, it looks to me like it's gonna be almost a mirror image of it. And what we noticed that year is smaller antler growth, Bucks that were mature that had been 200 to 220 were between 15 and 20, even more inches smaller during that season than they were the year before. And and bucks that were three-year-olds that that should have been coming into four-year-olds as a 180 to to 190 type buck were sitting down in the 170s, 160s. And so I think what you're going to see this year – and I don't think even if we get rain right now, it's going to make as much difference as if we would have gotten it earlier in the, mm-hmm. the spring. I think we're in trouble right now. And I think there's still plenty of deer in most of the areas. I think Zion is definitely hurting. I think it's been hammered nonstop really bad for the last three years, not only from drought, but from too many tags, too many people killing deer lots of lions and lots of traffic on the highways killing the deer but i think we're going to have a less than stellar deer hunt this year especially if you're looking for the big bucks i i don't think we're going to have the top end now i'm going to qualify that i know there's always an exception to the rule even in two thousand and eighteen there were a couple of bucks killed on the poncegant that were up in the two twenties and two tens and there's there's always going to be a buck that's got some place to go that's got good feed and good water and the conditions are a little different just because of its little niche wherever it happens to call home i think it's going to be exactly like that this year i i don't know what your opinion is on that but i i think we're going to have a lean year yeah, if you want to know the truth.
1: It's not looking too good. And especially with last year being kind of a drought year, too. I think back-to-back back, drought year yeah. can't be too too good. So you, yep. said, you said on average um, maybe those like upper-end bucks, like 210, 220, might be closer to like 190s um is that kind of what you're seeing on drought years on average maybe like yeah
2: when when you have a severe drought and every every drought seems to be a little different Mm -hmm. and some are obviously worse than others and some are more prolonged than others but what there's a lot of science to this and i don't know it i know that that some of us old guys that have been around for a long time have seen these cycles before and we always ask the question if if the year prior to the drought is a really good moisture year and the bucks are big and they're fat and their antlers are big will they carry that on into the the next year even if it is a drought over the winter and the spring and the summer will they still be fat enough and healthy enough to to produce big antlers and and that still remains a question that, that may be debatable in some people's minds. I think they do carry over.
3: Mm-hmm. The better the
2: health and the better condition they're in, the better the chance that they're gonna have good antlers during a drought year. But I think where last fall we had very little moisture and the feed was dried up and it was kind of a rough fall, even though there were some big bucks because we had a good spring. I think we're probably going to see some even more severe effects on antler growth this year than we possibly saw in 2018.
3: I think
1: it's going to be severe. (laughs) Well, that's not sounding too good, but I'm afraid I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't
2: know. Time only tells. I've been out looking a little bit, just starting the season out, setting a few cameras and checking on a few water holes and, and one thing that i am seeing is some of the water holes that we've been traditionally able to set up a trail cam on and check for big bucks they're dry already and some of these water holes have not been dry in my lifetime as, as since i've found them and been checking on them and they're dry already and it's barely the middle of june so, uh, I'm thinking if, if things don't change a whole bunch, it's going to be a one of those years where the deer are concentrated around the water sources, and it it gets tough on them because those mountain lions and the people and everybody else can concentrate around the water sources and find all these deer. It's pretty tough on the big bucks on years like that.
1: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Not only are they battling the drought conditions, but... They're a lot more vulnerable too, with yeah. limited water sources. It,
2: it it really makes it tough on them because when they've got to stay that close to a water source, all the other animals in the area have to stay there, and you know what that does to the feed situation. They eat everything that's near the water, and it compounds the problem because there's nothing good to eat there close. And so they're they're either doing a lot of traveling to get back and forth from the good feed to the water or else they're stuck right there foraging for crappy feed next to the water hole.
1: Yeah. So how does, uh, so like with this being an extreme drought year, how does that affect your your scouting and what do you do differently in a year like this versus a year that there's a lot more water and feed around? Good question. So in my experience,
2: what What it changes is, like we just talked about, it will congregate the deer next to a water source from from now clear through the summer until the bow hunt starts. On a good moisture year, scouting is actually a lot tougher for us because the deer can live anywhere they want. There's little springs and little streams and water running everywhere, and the feed is good enough that... Sometimes we don't find some of the biggest bucks until the second week of August when the feed dries up and some of those little springs dry up, and those bucks have to come out to a, a different water source or some different feed to, to stay where they want to be feeding for the, the rest of the fall. And so scouting on a dry year is actually easier to find all the deer Mm-hmm. Because there's less good water holes, or the the deer are congregated, but the problem is, is there's all these big bucks that are mature that should have been big enough to to be hunted, you know, 190 on up as far as you want to go, are just not there. There's yeah. there's a very low percentage of those bucks that are big enough to even get us excited, and, and it it's discouraging for one thing because you're you're hoping you're gonna find one of those gems that nobody's found before and they're tough to find. They're really tough on a year like this. But we like to concentrate on water on a, a drought year and it's it's that's where everybody else goes, so your competition <laughs> is tough and it's it's gonna be an interesting summer. To to say the least I'm not as excited as I probably would have been on a better moisture year
1: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense so I guess one question kind of specific to the Pentagon. Um so like let's say you have a hunter come in on a normal year what would be like realistic expectations as far as like trophy potential versus maybe on a year like this I know like you probably haven't seen all the bucks yet because they're still growing but if you if you had to guess yeah,
2: I I understand your question. So on a normal year, when I have a guy call me that wants to book a hunt or wants to talk bucks on the Pontagon, I always tell him that I'm confident that we can hunt 190-plus deer. We normally are hunting a 200-inch deer with, with a pretty good chance of something up to 220, 225. You know, mm-hmm. there's an occasional buck on the Ponce Gaunt that will hit 230 or even 240 on really good moisture years.
3: Uh-huh.
2: But typically on a, a good year, I tell people that we're, we're for sure going to hunt 190s, but most bucks killed on the poncegant, most big bucks are going to be between 195 and 205. I've talked to Ryan Hatch a bunch, and we've we've kind of had this same conversation, but most big deer on the Poncegon are between 195 and 205 on a good year. That's your average big buck that everybody's happy to put the hammer down on. On a year like this where we're coming up into a severe drought, I would bump that down to 180, and I would tell people, you know, we're still going to try to find a 200-incher, and we're going to hopefully be hunting a 200-incher but there may only be a couple of them, and there may be four outfitters and seven other hunters that are hunting the same exact buck that we are because it may be one of the only few 200-inch deer on the entire Pontagon this year. But most guys, realistically, will take a 190. Most of them can't tell the difference between a 185 and a 190, Yeah. So, after you've been on the hunt for a few days and you're you're seeing some 180 bucks and and a a 185 to 190 deer pops out, it's pretty hard to get them to lay off the trigger on something like that (laughs) on a year like this. And you'd probably be crazy to not shoot at something that big on a year like this.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's still a really big deer. (laughs) So, <laughs> it is. I, get what you're I saying. think we've
2: been spoiled. I I, I know the Ponce Gaunt has seen better days, but I think the last five or six years, maybe the, with the exception of the drought years, are probably the best years I've ever seen on the Ponce Gaunt. And I've been alive since the early 70s. I saw it when it was closed. For six or seven years between 79 and 85 and there was a lot of big bucks running around when it was closed and for the first few years before we slammed them all and killed the heck out of everything but i think during the 90s when when i first started guiding in the late 80s and early 90s we were happy to kill a 190 buck now everybody they want a 200 incher and (laughs) 220s and it's a different ball game than it used to be and they're there on good moisture years they're there
1: That's really interesting so you think so from your experience you've seen the last 5 years have been just as good if not better than when it reopened originally
2: Yes Now wow. now I was just a teenager back then and and you got to remember We were hunting 30-inch bucks back then, not 200-inch bucks. We (laughs) didn't know how to score. We didn't know anything about score. If they were 30, they were big enough. And I remember looking at some narrow bucks with cheaters all over them, wishing they were 30 inches. (laughs) So uh, that's kind of a crazy way to look at things. But I know there were some giant deer back in those days. But if you look back at the pictures and the record books, there's just as many big deer, if not more, being killed now on the Ponce Gaunt than there were back in 85 through 90 when the Ponce Gaunt was freshly opened and big bucks running everywhere. But I will tell you this I'm 100% confident that there were way more deer back then than there are now. Way more. Really? We had deer in glendale and orderville and mount carmel and canab and tropic and every one of these towns had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deer here and during the rut after all the deer had migrated every single field all the way up this valley and all the way through canab and johnson canyon and everywhere had giant bucks all over the place rutting and now you don't see that there are definitely less deer than what we used to have yeah, and I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a, more of a, a management strategy where they, they are managing for less total population, less tags given, but higher quality. And I don't know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I like that we're hunting big bucks, but I think this area can, could definitely sustain a bigger deer population because I saw it back in the late 80s and early 90s. It can definitely handle a lot more deer than what
1: we've got. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You saw how it was. So I yep. guess kind of going off of that, I'm just interested, what, what are your thoughts on those management hunts on the pond Do you think they help grow bigger bucks by taking out those older, maybe older bucks that don't have the genetics you're looking for? what What are your opinion on those? okay,
2: that's a great question i I've got an opinion on that and and I'd be happy to share it with you. I think the theory is good i think in in fact, there are bucks that get passed up on the Poncegon every year. that are old, big old bruisers that when the rut happens, they go in and kick the crap out of the younger, better genetically built deer. And they breed the does, and and we pass along some crappy three-point or two-point genetics. So I, I definitely agree. We do have a sort of a problem, and I think there is a somewhat of a fix for it. I, I know you can't genetically change a deer herd just by killing a few of the three points. So right. so don't <laughs> don't just think that I agree with this because I think it's going to magically change the the makeup of the herd because you've got. You've got does with genetics that we can't really know what they're packing. We could have the best doe on the Poncegon, get bred by a two-point, and it could produce a Boone and Crockett buck four yeah. years down the road with because the does genetics were good enough that the two-point bucks didn't screw it up. And I'm not talking about a, a two-year-old two-point. I'm talking about a seven-, eight-year-old two-point that's a proven dud. So – We probably shouldn't get into the genetic part of that because there's, uh, I'm probably not going to get anywhere with that, but I think what this management hunt does is two benefits. It gets the applicants, the guys that want to apply for the poncegon. it gives them a chance to pull some of the guys out of the, we'll call it the trophy pool, the guys that put in for the archery the rifle the muzzleloader hunt and it gets them out of that pool so that some of the guys can have a better chance to draw and it gives the other guys a chance to go hunt the poncegon experience it and kill a nice mature buck and I think it's a good thing I really do I I think it's great for the draw system and it's good to get some of those ugly bucks out of the herd The one problem that I see, though, is a lot of the people, and being a taxidermist, we see a lot of the bucks. People bring them in to get a European mount or something like that on them. A whole bunch of the bucks being killed are three-year-old three-points that probably are really not truly a management buck. They're just a young deer that hasn't developed yet. So that's that's one of the problems with it i see but i, I still think it's a good deal uh, i definitely would support it in the future
0: so this week we have travis roundy deer be dead uh he does taxidermy he also guides out on the poncegon and he shares some really good information about deer with us and some awesome stories i mean this story that uh he shared with us about a buck that actually ended up getting away but Man, it was an awesome story, and I think there's a lot to learn from Travis. He's one of the best deer hunters I've ever got to talk to, I've ever met, and uh, his track record uh, speaks for itself. He's killed multiple 200-plus-inch deer, and he's just a killer. So anyway, let's go ahead and get into it.
2: Okay. So where do you want me to start, then? Do, do you want to get me going again? And
1: Yeah, so... Um... I'll just kind of say, just in case I can't edit it, that so the the service that we were using to record the podcast kind of uh, glitched out for some reason. So let's get back into what Travis was talking about. We were talking about uh, the management hunts on the Ponsagant. That's where you can only kill a deer if it has three points on one side. And we are talking about how... Um, that it depends a lot on the doe, too. So Travis was saying before he got cut off that even a a two-point uh, buck could breed the best doe on the poncegon, and that could still produce a boom Crockett buck.
2: Yep. Okay, so that kind of gets me started back where we – I don't know exactly how far we missed or, or where this cut off, but what I was saying is, is – with those two-point bucks, and I'm not talking a two-year-old two-point, I'm talking a a mature buck that's six, seven, eight, nine years old that's a two-point or a three-point or some kind of an ugly configuration. When that buck breeds a doe, there's still a chance that that doe's genetics will be dominant and and we can still have a quality buck out of that mixture. So I don't know that we're going to completely solve the genetics on any unit by culling a few of the, the ugly two and three points out of there but I think what it really does for the unit is it helps the draw system I think we we send a few more guys through the system that are willing to shoot that kind of a buck because I know Mm -hmm. when I draw that unit I'm not looking to kill a two-point or a three-point I would pass every one of them until the last day and I wouldn't kill a deer whereas I know people that would be very happy to kill a deer like that and and so I think this management system definitely helps clean out the the draw pool and move some of the guys and gals through that that otherwise would be in the trophy hunt and they'd be out there doing their thing and probably killing a buck like that anyway. So I'm all for it. If you want my vote for that, I'm definitely for that, and I'm also for the cactus buck hunt. I know we probably didn't talk much about that, but same story on those. I think have a cactus mm-hmm. buck hunt and call a few of those ugly buggers out of the herd <laughs> and get rid of them.
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it does help get people through the draw system. Um, like you said, people who maybe don't care about shooting the biggest buck on the Poncigant or trying to hunt the biggest buck on the Poncigant. So yep. speaking of the Poncegon again and then drought years even though last year was rough you guys had another unreal year on the it looks like we
2: we actually did we may have had our best year on the Poncegon last year it was awesome and and we took some of our biggest bucks ever it, it was a great year for us
1: yeah well it looked like you took some really just good like cool looking bucks too like um, not only like high scoring bucks, but they just looked they looked really good too. There's like took a couple typicals on the archery hunt, and then a the non typical on the archery. Um, yep. Do you
2: we mind? we had a heck of a good year on that archery hunt. We killed a buck that was 208, just a slick four by four. That's just extremely massive, 33 wide. I mean, he's got seven inch bases six and a (laughs) half inch mass measurements all the way up through if i remember correctly 47 inches of total mass on the buck so you you do the math on that and that's pretty heavy
3: but it was (laughs) just a
2: big old mature deer that and i don't know that the guy that killed it he didn't want us to mention his name because of his employment Uh He, he does some work and works with the a lot of the liberal public and so he didn't want us to tell who he is or what he does for a living but i suspect if we put a tape on that buck and got a net score on it for pope and young it's probably going to net up around 200 inches so it's probably one of the top six or seven bucks ever killed in the state of utah and it was on a drought year last year so it's it's a pretty cool deer the other one a, a an old retired army army guy from the vietnam era killed a 200 inch buck that was the non-typical just same place same area same gene pool hammered probably his second biggest buck of his entire life he's an 80 something year old guy and he's uh he's been there and done that for a lot of years killed a lot of big bucks but this is probably his second biggest buck ever we were pretty happy for him,
1: jeez, and then you guys killed another a couple or just on the on the muzzle loader. We got a
2: couple of big bucks on the muzzle loader hunt. We got a super wide buck one of the bucks we pulled out the last day of the hunt that was thirty five thirty six inches wide, a few jeez. extras on it. It's not the highest scoring buck in the world. It's right up there right at 190 and i know everybody when you say right at 190 that means it's 189 and seven eighths. but, <laughs> but <laughs> at 190 always sounds good but just a super wide buck buck we passed up several times during the season looking for a, a bigger deer and we actually did hunt a bigger deer and shot an air ball over its back so we we had to kind of pull this one out of the hat the last day of the hunt but it, it's it's an awesome buck and mid thirties and just got the the look to it. And then the biggest buck we killed of the year was, was uh, the third day of the muzzleloader hunt. And if you don't mind, I'll tell you the quick story on it.
1: Oh yeah. We, I'd love to hear the story. Okay.
2: <laughs> so I have a group of guys that comes hunting with me every year. They buy a landowner tag and there's five of them. And uh-huh. each year a different guy gets to hunt. And most of these guys have never killed a deer before, so this is their first mule deer. Just keep that in mind. So, so okay. Brad was the hunter this year, and he's never killed a mule deer ever. So we're on the muzzleloader hunt, and he said, "I would love to kill the biggest buck in the group." And, and over the last four or five years, we've taken a 203, a 201, a 198, and then on the drought year we killed a
1: 187 so, <laughs> so we had cut
2: out for you <laughs> yep we had to produce something that was that was over 200 for him and he said I just want to have the group record if possible he goes I, I I would be happy to just hunt but he goes let's see if we can beat the record so we find a buck that will definitely beat the record we found him about 3 weeks before the hunt and My wife and I were out scouting and we we saw him laying in some thick brush and all we could see was one antler just the top of it and we couldn't we never did see the rest of him and we spent two more weeks looking for him. We set some cameras up on the water. Our camera got stolen so we didn't have Mm -hmm. any pictures. My son McLean He's 19, and, and currently he's in Johannesburg, South Africa, serving a mission for the LDS Church. So he's he's out of the picture right now. But he was he was getting ready to to go on a mission, and he was excited to help us look for deer before he left. So he went out and made it his mission to go find this deer for us. Well, he he did what everybody does in Utah. He went out and set out a bait, set out all kinds of stuff to see if he could pick it up. Two weeks, nothing happened. Never had a single picture of anything but rabbits and whatever kind of birds come into those baits, crows and magpies and stuff. But yeah. About two days before the hunt, him and I went out there in the morning, and we found, actually it was the day before the hunt, we found the buck bedded. And one thing we noticed about this buck is when he's bedded, he stays bedded. He does not get up and run, he just hides. He just ducks his head and lays in the thickest stuff that he can find. So we watched him for about four hours and tried to take some video, but all we could see was just his eyes and his nose and a few of his velvet or or his antler tips still have just a little bit of velvet on them. But Brad comes with his group, we go hunt. We don't see the buck the first day. We don't see the buck the second day, and and on the third day, these guys—they're—they're quite impatient. They're busy businessmen, and so they said, "Hey, let's go somewhere else and see if we can see some deer." Because this buck was in the low country where it was just him. There was no other bucks to look at to keep our attention. So it was either him or or stare at the sagebrush all day. And these guys got tired of staring at sagebrush. and so I took the guys, and we went up in the higher country looking for some other big bucks that we knew about that were big enough to do the job for him. well, my boy, he went out to where we'd been looking for this buck, and about 7.30 in the morning, I get a text, and I look down, and he goes, hey, I've got him bedded. No. And so we all jumped in and... <laughs> drove 90 miles an hour down the dirt road fast as we could to get there and when we got there the buck was still laying in his bed so we got brad set up with the muzzle loader and got him on the buck and the buck was bedded at at over 400 yards and with the long range muzzle loaders we got that should be a chip shot i know some states you can't use scopes and all that kind of stuff but here We can put the long-range scopes on and dial in and kill a buck at 400, no problem.
3: So we
2: set Brad up on this buck, and and this buck does the classic what he does. He laid there till noon. I mean, we were sweating. We were tired. We were sick of waiting. But (laughs) we knew if we bumped him, we'd probably never see him again, possibly for days, maybe ever. So anyway, finally the buck gets up. And instead of standing there like a buck sometimes does, he comes out of his bed hot, Brad shoots, and misses. But we thought he hit him. We know he didn't hit him now, but we thought at the time he did. All the smoke and then the buck running through the oak brush and the whole nine yards. So I watched the buck, we all watched the buck, run through the oaks and disappear. And, And I saw him go into the last little patch of oaks and he didn't come out and so i we we debated on whether he was wounded and in there dying or whether he was untouched okay and and so we decided what we would do is send brad over there and put him on the other side of the patch of oaks in a small opening it was about 20 yards wide and about 70 yards long And, and i got brad set up over there where i wanted him about uh-huh. 75 yards or so from where the, the clump of oaks was on the, the far side, and then I sent one of my cousins over there, and, and I had him track the buck. And I just I walked him up the track, and when he went to go into the oaks, we saw that we we saw Brad move a little bit, and then we heard a shot, and then the next thing we know, Brad gets on his cell phone, and he's like, he's down. We got him. <laughs> and, and so we get over there, and, and what had happened is is the buck heard my cousin come through the trees, and so uh-huh. he snuck out the other side, and, and he ran right towards Brad. And right when he got about 40 yards from Brad, he smoked him right in the neck, right in the white patch, and dropped him right there. And, and it mm-hmm. was crazy i mean it was it was one of those deals where we never really knew if it was going to come together the way we wanted it to but when we got up to the buck we would seen this buck enough to know he was big but when we got there he was a size bigger than than probably what we'd even expected him to be we (laughs) we threw a tape on him he's 33 wide 221 gross and he just built like a dream buck and so Brad gets his big buck and gets the record for his group and everybody's happy and my boy's pretty proud. He's he uh kinda pulled the rabbit out of the hat for us that day and it was it was a heck of a fun hunt for us. Maybe one of the best ones we've ever had. Just it was it was exciting.
1: That that's awesome and a few things that I, I kinda took away from that story is first perseverance kills because if your boy wouldn't have stayed there that morning you guys might have never even seen that buck again or even no question about it
2: no question if he had not gone there or if he'd have chosen to go somewhere different or, or just come with us we'd have probably been hunting a different buck that was not even in the same caliber
1: yeah and then I mean, you guys spent three days on or two or three days on him with everybody and uh, and didn't see him. And then I think it's it's really hard to hunt multiple days and not see a buck like you're talking about, like he's the only buck in that area. So it I
2: think... can be. It's These big bucks in this low country sometimes can disappear and you never find them. So it, it, you're kind of taking a gamble, and that's one of the problems with with guided hunts. Sometimes guys have got five days, sometimes they've got seven, sometimes they don't even have five days, and if you elect to spend those five days on a buck like this one or some of the other ones that we've hunted, you may never see that buck during your, your time period. If you've got a month on the archery hunt or nine days on a muzzleloader hunt, there's a better chance you'll... You'll get him, at least see him mm-hmm. once, but no guarantees. Sometimes you just cannot turn those bucks up, no matter how hard you try.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I've I've found a few big bucks and chased chased them for years and never even been close to killing them, but I've got yeah. them on trail and stuff. And that actually sometimes
2: those me. bucks either live in a place where it's just difficult to turn them up, or else they're a buck. I think this buck, I don't know that he was the smartest buck in the world, but I think his habit of laying down all the time Uh is what kept him alive that long. This buck, for some reason, would just lay there. Even in the hot sun, he'd just lay there all day long and not move. And when you have a, a buck that lives in thick, low country that doesn't move, you just don't see him. You get a buck that's up feeding and changing beds and going to water and going all over the place. You're gonna find him if you're sitting there long enough. But these bucks that maybe out of his own habits, just he likes to just stay there in his bed all the time. That's a whole different ball game trying to turn one of those up.
1: Yeah. So when you have a buck like this found, that's just a next level buck, but he's hard to hunt. How do you keep like whether you're hunting for yourself or for clients, how do you keep either yourself or clients motivated to to continue to hunt that specific buck?
2: Well, it's easier to keep me motivated than it is my clients. Right. Just to put that out there because I'm, I'm interested in a next level buck and I'm not interested so much in a, and I hate to say this because I love 190 bucks. But I've killed 20-something of them, and for me, the 220 is so much more special and so much more of an accomplishment than a 190 that it's just, I would rather hunt a 220 and fail, than go kill a 190. That's mm-hmm. my mentality. But, but when we're talking about a, a client that has either, like Brad, never killed a deer in his life, or a lot of the other clients that we guide, they're, they're 75-year-old guys that have been applying for the Ponce for 23 years,
3: mm-hmm. and,
2: and this is their one chance. They want to have not only a great experience, but they want to kill a big buck. And, and deep down, a 190 buck is big enough for most of us. Even me, I would take a 190 buck any day of the week, except – on the pantagongon or or on the Arizona strip, those are two places that i I think the bar probably should be set a little higher than that maybe even till the last day If you understand what I'm saying, I know yeah. you do because you've been yeah. there and done that but but with a client, it's a little tougher because you think about a guy that's that's got a five day hunt or a, even a nine day hunt about day number five. He's halfway through his nine-day hunt, and the clock's ticking, and his mind starts playing things over like, okay, if we don't see this buck in the next two days, I'm probably going to have to shoot a little one, and we've been seeing four of those with this other buck. Wonder which one of those I should shoot. And and they start playing mind games, and as a guide, that's where we have to come in and, and help them we got to help them manage that. we got to reassure them that, A, we do think we're going to find this big buck and that we're going to kill him. Or if we really don't think we're going to find this buck, then we probably better move them to a, a different buck or a different area so that we can maximize their chances. And, and that's the big problem with being a guide is, is you, have to, you have to know your hunter and you have to understand where they're coming from. Sometimes we'll go kill a 185 or a 190 buck right on the first couple of days, and people are like, wow, why did you go shoot that when you've got a 210? Well, the 210 we've got, we've seen him two times since May, and we got a mm-hmm. five-day window. We may put opening day in on him and, and maybe the next day, but we got to get something for this guy because he's gone in five days, and, and we're probably not going to see that other buck again during his time allotment. So it's a balancing act, and it's it's there's a lot of different factors that play into it on how you decide what to do. But ultimately, it's the yeah. hunter that's going to have to make the decision. You just got to help em yeah, make I, a good decision based on what you know and, and what you feel.
1: And I, I think, um, like you, for example, saying that maybe you would rather hunt a 220 buck then kill a 190 buck and I think you've proven that cuz you're willing to eat even good tags and I think a lot of people if they for example if they draw the pontiga and they don't kill a deer they feel like they didn't uh fulfill that tag but you right. you'd be willing to hunt uh, a bigger buck that you might not kill and I think that's probably why you've killed a lot of <laughs> these bigger bucks that people don't even see and you've killed multiple yep, it,
2: it is it's i think that's one of the biggest factors is being willing to 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 go do the work and find that class of a buck but yet drive past all the other big bucks that are, are big enough to probably kill to go hunt that next level buck and, and stay focused on it till the last day of the hunt I've done that on the Potagon. I know you know about one of the bucks that I chased there a few years back.
1: That yeah arrowhead
2: I buck that that's a prime example of that.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about that buck and everything that that happened i think I think that's a perfect example and it was just it' was a pretty cool story if I remember right okay i'll I'll
2: try to make it as as short as i can so it don't take all day to tell this story but (laughs) so i drew a poncegon tag in 2016 and the same year my brother tyrell who is my youngest brother there's seven boys in my family i'm the oldest he's the youngest he drew with 14 points i drew with seven so i've had a few poncegon tags in my life and he has had one and so we scouted all summer, and, and there was lots of big bucks that year. It's one of those magic years on the Pontagon where there's giant bucks everywhere. We found a buck in the low country that was, we thought, between 235 and 240. We also found some other bucks that were 215 ish up in the higher country. And so my brother wanted to hunt the big buck, and where it was, he spent more time drawing the tag. I sent him and my dad to go hunt that. They hunted it for about 11 days, and they never saw the buck one time, not even Mm -hmm. once. I hunted my buck, and and this buck was another one of those ghost bucks. I did not see it either in in the first 11 days. And so my brother, he sent me a text, and he goes, hey, if you want to come out here and try to hunt this buck with me, You're more than welcome. So I went to the low country with him the next morning on day 12, I believe it was. We split up. I went over one side of a hill. He went over the other side. And within 30 seconds, I glassed up the buck.
1: No uh... way. He was
2: feeding out in a, a little draw with some thick brush and some oak. Bam, there he was. And I watched him videoed him just in case we never saw him again and then I ran back up and got my brother and my dad and we watched him bed and so we decided that I was going to send my brother Tyrell in and see if he could put a stalk on him and so he starts this stalk and as soon as he gets within about 100 yards of the buck the buck gets up and leaves but I watched him bed again and so we got back together and made a new plan on how he was going to stalk in this time and but I told him, I said, if, if this buck gets up and leaves again like he did last time, I'm going to be waiting in his escape area. And so we sent Tyrell mm-hmm. in, and as soon as he got within about 100 yards of this buck, he gets up and leaves, only I'm waiting for him this time. And so <laughs> this buck, and he, he, I don't know if he was actually trying to get away from us because he would just get up and feed. He would just get up and walk away and feed and then go bed again. So the problem I had is when this buck came by me, there was an old barbed wire fence between me and him, and I I snuck up to the fence, but I could not get across it. I couldn't get under it without him hearing me. And so it it, it stuck me at about 75 yards, and I couldn't get any closer. And he was feeding along this scrub oak, oak patch, at Uh 75 yards and he had his head up in the bushes eating the oak leaves and and finally i decided i'm gonna have to take this shot right here and i practice out to 125 yards so i was confident in the shot yeah dialed up my slider on the bow and and when he stopped he i I waited until he was feeding And, and this may have been my mistake but i i shot he was facing to the left fully broadside Right when I shot, my bow make, made a little bit of a noise when it went off,
3: uh-huh. and that
2: buck jumped. He he whirled to run back the direction he came, and when he did, his head came in front of his body, and the arrow hit him right in the forehead.
1: Nuh-uh. And it just
2: dropped him. It, it stuck right in between his eyes just slightly to the left side, and it just dropped him to the ground like you just shot him in the head with a a rifle right he just laid there like nothing was ever going to happen again i'm like wow i just killed it dropped him with a bow Uh and so when i i i'm just kind of in shock and disbelief that i just killed this monster non-typical well he gets up to his feet and so i knock another arrow to go to shoot again and he staggers like he's drunk uh-huh. through the oaks and disappears and when he comes out on the upside on the top of the ridge he's at 126 yards and he's standing there with this full arrow poking straight up out of his forehead and he's there just wobbling like he's about to fall over again yeah and so I, I run my slider to 125 put it on him and he, he right when i go to shoot he walks over the ridge well my dad could see all of this he said he he went out across the sage flat and the further he went the better he got going and by the end of the flat about 500 yards through there he, he was jumping and running and so I got on his track thinking you know this buck's messed up his, his brain's probably shot up a little bit and he's, he's goofy I'm just going to go dog him in this sand yeah. until I catch him and kill him and I'll just they can't get away from me. I track enough bucks, and and with just one buck being down there, you you can't lose them if you stay with it. Uh If I go dog this buck, well, I I somehow get out on the end of a, a little ridge, and I hear him. And he has bedded to the point where when I went past him, he had hooked around and bedded where he could watch his back trail, and he got up and hauled butt, and I didn't. I I didn't get my chance at him. Well, long story short, we picked up a trail camera picture of him three days later on a little spring. And you can see in the picture the three-bladed, kind of a plus mark looking thing right on his forehead. So we knew the arrow fell out and we knew he was very much alive. He looked healthy and like nothing was wrong with him except for that mark. Yeah. Well, we got... 15-plus days left in the season. And so my brother pulled off and went and hunted another buck, and I I went to work on this one. I hunted every day till the end of the hunt without seeing the buck again. Really? I finally, on the last day of the hunt, found him right at dark, put a stalk on him, and, and blew it, couldn't get him. I could have went and killed some other deer. In fact, I really... I played this through my mind through the, the season. I knew I, I was driving past bucks every day going to hunt this deer that were not so smart and, and would have been pretty easy to go kill with a bow
3: uh-huh. to go hunt
2: this deer. So, so the end of the story, I didn't get a buck, never did fill my tag that year. We hunted him on the muzzle loader, saw him once, never saw him on the rifle hunt, never found him on the winter range spent the whole spring looking for sheds and trying to figure out where he was down in the low country after he migrated. The next year he came back and his antlers were messed up from being shot in the head and his antlers kind of grew some funky stuff out the right side. We saw him one time in the summer, never saw him on the bow hunt, never saw him on the muzzleloader hunt until the eighth day and did not get him with our client. Uh Got a trail cam picture of him the night after the rifle hunt was over, after we had hunted him there. Never Mm -hmm. saw him in person during the season. He migrated south, never knew where he was. And during the winter, a guy from Kanab found his shed. And while he was looking for the shed, he found a deadhead. And I'm talking he found the sheds from the year before that, that were from the year I shot him in, in between the eyes. We called him Arrowhead after that, obviously. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. So he
2: found the sheds and they scored two thirty two or two thirty three. Just with the sheds with with no velvet on him or anything, and typically velvet is five, six, seven inches on a big non typical. So he he probably yeah. would have been high two thirties. Well, this same guy was looking in this area, and he found the dead deer. He found the arrowhead buck dead. So not only did he find the 2016 sheds, but he found the buck dead, killed by a mountain lion. And so he he called the game warden to come and in Utah, you've got to get the game warden to come and check him out. Well, they came to check this deer out, and it had a hole in its forehead. And so they said, well, this. This looks like somebody shot this in between the eyes, so we we probably can't let you have it. Well, some guys had heard about this buck and and how I had shot it in the forehead, and so uh-huh. through a series of me sending pictures to them and them being able to verify that that hole was actually from two years prior on the bow hunt, they were actually able to prove that that buck was not killed by a poacher. It was lion killed and and the hole in the head was the arrow from previously and so the guy got to keep the rack and if I remember correctly that year it only scored 206 because it, it had a little bit of head trauma to deal with trying to heal up from <laughs> that but but the crazy thing is is this buck wintered in a spot less than four miles away from from where we had been hunting it and it was Completely in a spot that we had never even imagined that it would spend the winter. I mean, it's one of those bucks that we we literally spent hundreds of days looking for it. And in those two-year period of time, we saw that buck less than four times in person.
1: Period. That's crazy. So that's yeah. a
2: lot of information for that thing. But it's 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 one of the experiences in my life where I'm proud to say I hunted a big buck like that. I wish it would have happened a little different. I wish he'd have kept his head in the bushes. In fact, I wish I would have let him pull his head out and maybe even made a little noise so he knew I was there. Sometimes if you shoot yeah. one a buck, doesn't know you're there, and they hear the noise, they jump. If they know something's there, sometimes when that bow goes off, they don't move. They, they already know there's something there that they're trying to find. So I probably could have played it a lot different but it is what it is and and that's one of my fondest memories even though I didn't succeed getting the buck killed I'm proud to say that I held the course and hunted the biggest buck that I knew about that year to the bitter end and he kicked my butt and that's what I love about big mule deer anybody can go out and kill a two-point or a young deer that's standing by the road I'm looking for a challenge and the day that mule deer hunting ceases to be a mental and a physical challenge is a day that I'm probably looking for a new sport
1: (laughs) yeah well that's that's such a crazy story and I think it goes perfect about with why you have been successful on so many other hunts with deer people can't even dream of taking like some of the deer you have and I think it's because you're willing to stick it out and eat those tags and, like, everyone thinks, like, Travis Roundy has the Pontagon tag, and so, like, he could have easily just been like, well, I need to make sure I kill, or i got to go kill. You probably even had 200-inch deer found, 210-inch deer found, but to keep to that to that buck and stick it out until the last day I think that that's pretty awesome you you did that and I think that's why you continue to kill some of the best deer in in the west each year
2: well I appreciate that I I agree with you I know there's a lot of other guys out there that are great mule deer hunters and great guides and outfitters and they understand it as well and you know there's just something to be said about these big mature deer they they don't get that way for no reason, whether it be by luck or or whatever it is the smarts that they have. I I don't know that they're geniuses. I think sometimes the area that they live in it, sometimes is tougher to to kill a deer in than the deer itself is. But when they're when they're as challenging as they are, sign me up. I like it. <laughs> yeah i like it a lot
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can't be big deer it's the best thing nope (laughs) nope not even (laughs) i i know you're busy so i don't want to take up too much of your time and i appreciate you getting on here but uh before we end um i just want to let people know that obviously you're a taxidermist um you do roundy taxidermy what's the best way to get a hold of you um i would way.
2: say facebook or instagram just on instagram we are at deer dead or under travis roundy and the same on facebook travis roundy on facebook and just send me a message on there i i waste a lot of time on there anyway so feel free to message me my cell number is on my instagram page right on the top of it if you want to send me a text i'm stone deaf so i would prefer to text rather than call any day of the week so don't don't feel shy about sending me a text or a message i'd be happy to do some taxidermy work for you and while while we're on that subject we are extremely busy and and we love mule deer we love shoulder mounts we do a lot of life sizes but we're probably going to be slowing down a little bit on that we we are so busy that we're going to be taking less rugs and less life sizes and less European mounts this year just mm-hmm. due to the fact that we've got a zillion deer and elk and antelope and sheep and that type of stuff to do. And so we're going to pick and choose a little bit so that we're not swamped with all the stuff that we'd rather not see.
1: <laughs> yeah. But
2: you're, you're welcome to message me and, and ask. I'll be happy to, to visit with anybody.
1: And then as far as um, outfitting, that's the best way to get a hold of you as well, right? Same way, yep. Outfit. Just get a
2: hold of me on Instagram or Facebook. or My cell number is on that uh, Instagram page. Just send me a text, and I'll visit with you. We've, we've still got an opening on our mm-hmm. hunt this year, the Ponce Gaunt Rifle Hunt. If you've got a tag and you're looking for some help, I know it's going to be a tough drought year out there, but if, if somebody needs help, we've got one more slot open. If if you're thinking about using an outfitter, we'd love to visit with you.
1: Perfect. Yeah, and if anyone can pull a rabbit out of the hat on a drought year like this, it's you guys. So. Well,
2: um, we'll give it 110%. That's one thing we will promise. We spend <laughs> a lot of time there and we are one of the few outfitters that actually live on the pontagon we've grown up here and live here for almost 50 years in my case my dad's been here for 71 years and we spend a lot of our days out there looking at deer all year so we're happy
1: to help perfect and then just to end i wanted to ask you one more question so okay for someone who's in in general like if someone aspires to kill big mule deer year after year like you do what's just one piece of advice that you would you would give them that might help them try to accomplish that goal
2: okay i've thought about that a lot because when i was younger i i wanted to kill big mule deer and i studied a lot of the the big mule deer killers back in the day the ted rigs from the strip the infamous mm-hmm. Kurt Darner from Colorado <laughs> and Jay Ogden from Richfield and Ryan Hatch from Kanab, and Mike Brownlee, and a whole bunch of the other big buck slayers that have been there and done that. And there's a lot more of them than those guys, but there's, there's more than one key. There, there's not just one thing that will make you a big buck killer. There's several. And I think I can give them to you in a quick format here. Number yeah. one you've got to be hunting in an area where there are actually big mule deer. And that's the tough part. Right now in the world, there's not that many places that have got truly big deer. And the places that do have them are so limited that you may never get a tag. So sometimes you're going to have to go to an area that's got good genes and good deer but not very many of them and you're going to have to look for a needle in a haystack second thing is is you're going to have to have the mindset that i don't have to kill a deer on this hunt to have a great successful hunt i'm happier hunting a big deer than i am killing a small deer and third be prepared to take the whole hunt if you need it i know Some of us live busy lives, and we got a lot of things to do and a lot of responsibility, but one time during the year probably wouldn't hurt to spend the whole season and be there when that season's open because we're limited to five days or seven or nine or whatever the season is, and if you're not there every day, you're probably going to lessen your chances of actually seeing a big deer. Fourth, put your scouting time in. Do the best you can, and if you don't have time to scout, you may want to think about hiring some help. Get a good outfitter mm-hmm. that knows the country and that produces and get them to help you. And I'm not trying to sell outfitters to everybody. I've done 98% of my hunting without one, and there's no shame in using them when you need them, but there's no shame in doing it yourself either because you can do it. The other thing is you got to be able to kill when you find your buck. Most guys see a big buck during a hunt, and they don't kill it because they either aren't ready or they can't shoot straight, whether it's with a bow or a muzzleloader or a rifle, and they don't capitalize on the opportunity. Case in point, if I had every big buck that I've hunted and missed or failed to kill it somehow in a collection mounted on the wall on the east side of my shop, Versus the collection I do have that I have killed The ones that I've missed or let get away would be bigger and more of them than the ones that I have killed So just think about that I've (laughs) screwed up on more big bucks than I've killed And I've been doing this for 35 years and I have let more big bucks get away than I've killed And they haunt me, but that's part (laughs) of the game
1: Yeah yeah, for sure. So,
2: that's one last parting shot here that I would like to say. Uh-huh. We as hunters have got to stop killing all the deer. We have got to quit killing the little bucks. I don't mind seeing the, the youngsters, the teenagers kill them to learn how and to get their feet wet, but us grown adults, I hear this in my shop on a daily basis. In fact, I just had a guy in here just two days ago that's an outfitter, and he was telling me about hunting bucks. And he said, last year I hunted for four days and I never saw a deer, and I finally found a two-point on the fifth day of the hunt, and I killed it because I hadn't seen anything. Well, In my opinion, if you're not seeing deer and you're not seeing bucks, you probably shouldn't have killed that one. You probably should have <laughs> let it live and i think if we don't start doing that we are going to be in a sport where there aren't any big bucks left and and we're not going to have this sport the way we enjoy it now so Mm -hmm. don't give me the crap about we needed to fill the freezer and we needed the meat because nobody needs that meat I don't care who you are, you can buy a five-gallon bucket of rice and some meat at Walmart cheaper than, way cheaper than you can kill a two-point mule deer. <laughs>
3: yeah. uh,
2: I'm not telling people they can't go hunt. I'm just telling you we really need to think about this. If we're going to preserve the sport and we're going to have some big bucks, we really have got to quit killing all those deer just because we don't find a big buck. Let them grow up because they'll be in the same place the next year.
1: Yeah, no, I think that I think that's very true. I think that's a good thing to talk about and say, because I mean, it, it's true. If you if you let those younger bucks grow, eventually they'll be the big bucks, and then you maybe you well, might the, see the, big bucks here's another here. big
2: buck killing tip I'll throw out there, and, and the big buck guys know this, but maybe some of the other ones don't.
3: Uh huh.
2: A deer lives in the same place every year, summer and winter. They, they they migrate, but they go to the same place. 95% of them go to the exact same beds, the same trails, the same water hole. If you let that buck live, if it's not big enough this year and you let it live, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be back the next year to the same place, a year bigger and a size bigger. And it's not long. You let a few of those live like that, and you're going to be hunting the kind of deer you really want to kill if you're willing to, to let them live and grow up. So just yeah. a little big buck-killing tip right there. Don't kill those buggers. Let, <laughs> let them grow.
1: Yeah. No, that's perfect, and I appreciate um, that. That's some really good information, too, about kind of what sets people apart from people who continually kill big bucks and maybe those who don't or has killed one in their lifetime. So I think that's some great information, some great tips and awesome stories too, Travis. I really appreciate you getting on. It was so fun talking to you.
2: You bet. Thank you. I appreciate you even thinking about me. I know there's some serious big buck hunters out there that you've talked to and I'm sure more that you're going to visit with in the future, but I appreciate what you do and our friendship, and I know that we got a lot of things in common, especially where we live and the big bucks that we love to chase and the people that we associate with. And In the end, that's what's important is the people that you associate with. So remember to take your friends and your family and a few of your buddies out there to have the experience with. I know one of the mistakes I made early on is I thought I had to be alone to be stealthy enough to go kill big deer. When you do that, you don't have a lot of memories to share with everybody, so take a few people with you. Take your boys or your girls or your buddies and go have an experience while you're chasing big deer.
1: Yeah, well, you do really good at that. I mean, your whole family, all your kids are big buck killers, so it's it's awesome to see you guys' pictures year after year.
2: Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate the opportunity to to live in a country where we can do that. There's a lot of blessings from living here and being able to go do what we love to do. Hopefully we can do it for dozens and dozens of years in the future, decades, hopefully forever. Yeah.
0: As always, thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget to go to DirtyGiants.com and get your raffle tickets to win a tripod. Thanks for all the support. I really appreciate it.